Hey everyone, this is Terry Mitchell from the Voice on Fire interview series. And for those of you who may not have been following along, uh, I have the opportunity to interview some of the most amazing people, both locally to me in Australia and also around the world. These people are people that I consider are real action takers. They're passionate about projects where they're making a difference either within their communities, nationally or globally. And today my guest is Leif Cox, who is quite remarkable in, in the project that he is passionate about. In fact, he's involved in so many amazing things that I really was looking forward to sharing this platform with, uh, with you today. Leif, thank you for joining me. You're welcome. And thank you for having me on board. Absolutely, absolutely. So what I'd really love to do, uh, Leif, is to get um, the, the audience to get familiar with what it is you do. And they can probably see from that banner in the background the orangutan mm -hmm. project. And I know you, you've got quite a remarkable amount of knowledge uh, about that um, particular critically endangered species. Let's start off by uh, asking you what it is you actually do. Now, I know that's not going to be an easy question. You've been in the conservation related services for quite some time. Mm -hmm. So start out by telling us what it is you're currently doing. Hmm. In, in, in in the most broadest philosophical sense is um, it's the intelligent of expression of love for all beings. Oh, wow. yeah. um, and so it, it, it's, it's about compassion, love for all beings and expressing it intelligently. And we all have a sets of skills and knowledge mm -hmm. and we ought to use that as a focus to express um, our love for all beings. Mm -hmm. From a strategic point of view, Climate scientists are telling us we've got the next 10 years to turn the situation around. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we'll get these um, um, trigger events that, you know, will spiral the, the globe out of a recoverable um, biosphere to support life. And there's no coincidence we have the, the same 10-year window to save enough viable ecosystems whether the megafauna such as the orangutans, elephants and tigers, as well as the indigenous community, can survive this extinction crisis. So our main game in the next 10 years is to save five to eight complete ecosystems of the right type, shape and size of rainforest to take the megafauna and all the biodiversity and local communities through this extinction crisis and pass them on to future generations to rewild the planet because we have to rewild about 30% of the planet mm -hmm. as well as reforming agriculture and also reduce fossil fuels in order to save the planet. So it's a combination of those three things that strategically have to happen. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to pass on the, the recoverable ecosystems that future generations can build on, but not only we're going to, they're going to be environmentally sustainable, and um, we, we're making it economically sustainable by developing with the indigenous communities um, viable and profitable forms of agriculture under the rainforest canopy. So this is always going to be a win-win situation. Um, it's never wildlife versus people or the environment versus the economy. These are false dichotomies that um, people put in our way. What we're building is a, um, a better world for all living beings on this planet, including the non-human persons whose rights um, are not recognized as yet mm. um, and, and take everybody to a better place. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, 
Well, you've said that so succinctly. That is a monumental task. I mean, those ecosystems, they're not small projects that you can just spend a weekend doing. These must be a lifetime commitment and not just from people such as yourselves. How do you get other people involved in understanding the significance of what you've just mm -hmm. spoken about? Yeah. I mean, yeah, as you're mentioning, it's not a short term. And a lot of the grants and charities uh, are not effective because of the short term unto strategic nature of the action. So indiscriminate charity causes more problems than it creates. And so I call conservation a marathon with hurdles with a box of punching you in the face every 50 metres. <laughs> so it's not for the faint hearted. It, 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 it's the hell of a slog, but it's well worth it. Um, but, you know, it's one of the most effective ways that we can help others. Mm. The next part you touched on, and it's key to everything we do. As humans, we're not actually very good um, and very effective when we're alone. The only way we can actually be effective is, is by um, joining together, collectivizing. And uh, the example I give is if you want to earn a little bit of money, go get yourself a job. That's fine. If you want to earn a lot of money, you collectivize capital into a corporation and then you have the capacity to make a lot of money. And so the effectiveness of the orangutan project has really nothing to do in, in some senses with us ourselves. It's ability to love, care, connect, support others in a, in a, in a community um, of mutual benefit that allows us to become effective. We, we collectivize um, conservation efforts with you know, some great people with great skills um, in, in a way that's going to be strategically provide the outcome that we need. So it's our ability to work with others um, and connect with others is probably our, our most important asset. And of course, each of us as individuals bring on skills energy and ability that we that on our own is not very effective um, but combined together um, is extremely effective mm, yeah absolutely and I think the words you hit on there combined when we think about ecosystems it's not just oh you've got to go grow more trees those trees are home to certain species and you need to grow certain types of trees to accommodate those species and you know, at the rate that we're demolishing rainforests, we're not just demolishing one type of tree, we're demolishing whatever's in that forest that was growing in the undergrowth and all the, the different little lichen and moss and things that are in that particular environment that other little bugs are, you know, no, it's all part of the, the food chain, it's all part of the system, the biological system. So the idea that we're doing just one thing isn't really enough. So how do you help people to understand the significance of all the different parts to the projects? Obviously, mm. you know, the, the orangutan and the elephant and the tiger, hugely important to save them. I mean, I cannot imagine a world without them, but it's not just save those animals. There are the entire habitats and environments. How do you get people involved in understanding that mm. side of it? Um, yeah, no, it, it, it's, first of all, it's, it's conveying the truth that these are win-win solutions. You know, a more biodiverse um, rainforest um, provides better environmental services for local communities, stores more carbon to mitigate climate change, um, and, and um, provides, you know, the, the, um, um, the area for predators to reduce pests naturally and, and allow agriculture to actually 
um, be far more sustainable in the long run. And so all these are, are you know, are, are win-win solutions. Yes. So just again, let people know that there isn't this um, false paradigm of having a sacrifice for the future or, or for what you know what we're trying to do is is, is the benefit of of every living being on this planet. Mm. Um, the, the second part, how to communicate with that. Um, it is it, it it's actually strategically very difficult because what we've learned in conservation is um, you know if you, if it's too gloom and doom you know um, we have to present people the problem if there's no problem why would you want to participate in solving it yeah. solved yeah. so we do have to present the problem um, in a way possible but we have to quickly move to the fact that we can actually solve this problem mm. which is true we can um, otherwise people naturally want to turn off, you know, this is, you know, why would I want to hear this? I'd rather stick my head in the sand. That's most understandable. But then we also want to take people to the next step and, and, um, and to understand that goodness is own reward, generosity is own reward. And in fact, if we're more generous and loving to others, we are happier in ourselves. Mm. So a, a life of selfless service of giving to others is not a, a life of self-sacrifice. It's a life of joy, love, and gaining all. And so at those three levels, the you know, intellectual, emotional, and then, then that, you know, the very personal level um, of is to say this is this is a wonderful um, win-win situation at all levels of, of our of a of a beingness. Yeah. And um I try to take people on that journey. So that's why, you know, my first book um, was more technical about orangutans. The second one was more about my, my personal journey and the need to save orangutans. And my last book's Finding Our Humanity is very much about connecting people and making the journey where people are happier, more content and more fulfilled um, through joining and collectivizing with others to make the world a better place. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think something that, that stood out for me amongst all of that as you were speaking about that is if we see it all as doom and gloom, yes, that will trigger for some people that they feel they're compelled to make a difference. But as you say, most people will feel overwhelmed or just in some way it'll be just too much and they'll switch off. Um, mm -hmm. The thing that stood out for me was giving people a sense of hope um, particularly people that may not have thought about any of this sort of stuff before they became parents. And I imagine that people that have got kids may well be thinking more along the lines of, I cannot imagine my child not knowing the joy that I had at the zoo or at the uh, resort, wherever I saw these animals, you know, knowing that they exist. Because so few of us would have real personal one-to-one -one real exchange with animals in their native or natural uh, habitat. I only ever knew of animals through the zoo experience, but that didn't stop me from feeling that there's a bigger world out there that in some way I must be able to make a difference. So I suppose there's got to be some understanding of where people come from in you know, knowing how do they see the world of hope? What's the driver for people? And I, I really, you know, I like what you say about giving people an understanding at different levels about you know, why it's so important to take the necessary steps and it's not all sacrifice. Some things are about contribution. 
Um, and, and you mentioned, and I'll slip it in there, you were talking about the books that you've written. I really wanted to touch on those. Um, you've, you've written those three books and were they all about the orangutan? Was there, was there a different theme or was that what you were writing about? Um, all, all the books are, are some autobiographical mm -hmm. in a sense. It's, it's about my journey mm -hmm. at, at different levels. And so the, the first one is, is, I guess, more about my academic journey. The second one is more about my personal journey with orangutans, you know, from birth to free in the wild. Uh, and the, the second one is, the third one is actually more my, you know, for want of a better word, the spiritual journey, um, you know, um, because I'm a firm believer that we cannot reform the world unless we reform ourselves. Mm. Um, I, as an example, if, if you, as you know, if you're feeling unhappy or in pain, we, we're, we're short-tempered, we're selfish, you know, um, we don't get along with others, you know. And, and therefore, we can go on a crusade to say the orangutans or anything, but we'll eventually destroy everything that we create, for, you know, because we'll need power, name, fame, you know, position in order to support our sense of lack of self-worth within us, you know, and, and, and ease that pain um, from that lack. But if we find that joy and love within our hearts, you know, um, and then we're just naturally expressing that love for all beings through us, um, then we, we have all the energy in the world. We, we, you know, we, and that energy then is in applied in a positive way, you know, and, and, uh, and we can truly make a sustainable outcomes. So if I'm not, as I say, I'm not suggesting we go away and contemplate our navels in the Himalayas for 10 years before doing anything. But I always recommend to people, especially young people, if you want to start on a journey to make the world a better place, you need to also work on your internal world mm. while you're helping um, work on the external world because they have to go hand in hand and we have to have, because the integrity of our internal world naturally reflects in the external world around us. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in terms of you mentioning, you know, that you've spoken to younger people and let them know this is something to think about, I, I understand that you're also uh, involved in um, lecturing in the particular subjects that you are, um, you know, the expert in, share a little bit about what you do there. Um, as part of my my job as you know the the, the founder of the orangutan project is um, yeah is to communicate with with people um, and and to um, bring them on on the journey because at the moment we've got a twenty million dollar year problem for ten years until the ecosystem is sustainable, but we've got a you know, a quarter of that income. So we, we need to grow and connect with people and, and increase our collectivization. So part of my job is um, is, is to do that. And um, and but and also part of that is my job is is you know is at sometimes is to connect with younger people, mm -hmm. you know, who are going to be the custodians of the next generation, the custodians of these ecosystems and the better world we're, we're trying to to create. Uh, the wonderful thing is, is when I do meet so many young people um, in Indonesia um, and around the world, I, I, I'm heartened by how many, you know, um, of them are, are really of a high caliber integrity. You know, um, it, it, there's a wonderful future there. Um, but the responsibility of our generation is to, is to hand them over a climate, and ecosystems which are recoverable mm. so, so they can do the good work. 
if, if we don't do the hard works in the next 10 years, they can be the best people in the world, but we're not handing something over to them that they can work with and recover and, and, and have a, a planet that's going to be fit to support all the living beings on it. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, it's certainly important to convey messages to the, the future generations. Um, certainly seeing the, the use of our current situation, are there's, there's so many of them are taking active roles in wanting to make change. And I think from just my observation, a lot of them perhaps feel a little overwhelmed because they are the, the concept of where are the resources to help them to do that? And obviously we at our um, level of having been on the planet for as long as we have, and I, I think we're probably of a, a similar generation, we're, we've got that knowledge. We've seen what's happened before. We can pass on information to them and, and the, the earlier generations can serve as resources to them, but we've also got to encourage them to see new ways to approach perhaps old problems, ways to try and find new solutions. And obviously with the development of technology, whether that's possible to help resolve the situation that is a current problem um, in, in terms of, of, I suppose, other areas that you see are recoverable, what actions uh, is involved or what actions are involved with the orangutan project and the other projects that you're involved in? What are the things you're actually doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, now you touched on a, a good point is, is when teaching, we have to provide the real life example of affecting meaningful change because then, you, then they can say, I see this guy doing it. Mm -hmm. I know it can be done because I've seen the example. And that, that provides the framework of hope and understanding. Mm -hmm. If you just teach, if I just went around and, you know, just talked to people and didn't do anything, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if not, it doesn't have that, that depth. Mm -hmm. and, and drilling down, well, what are we doing? Well, we're, we're working, um, you know, to save um, viable populations of orangutans, tigers and elephants in viable ecosystems. And it has to be the right type, shape and size of rainforest. So working with companies and not-for-profits to piece together the, the last remaining ecosystems by either protecting or reforesting um, those areas, so, so it works. And it just works out that, um, you know, you need areas about 200,000 hectares each of the right type, shape and size of rainforest for, to be viable and sustainable populations of megafauna. That's why zoos are, from a conservation point of view, for megafauna is a total waste of time. Mm -hmm. All their populations will go extinct. They can't save themselves and even learn to save the species. Mm -hmm. We have to save them in a while. We can't save these species in captivity because we need the level of numbers for the biodiversity. Otherwise, they start inbreeding and the population um, spirals into extinction. So once we piece together these ecosystems, um, we're working with local communities to develop agricultural systems under rainforest canopies such as jungle rubber, shade coffee, vanilla, bamboo, rattan, uh, etc. Um, yeah, and, and therefore there's a win-win situation. So the, you know the communities um, are actively involved and engaged with supporting the ecosystems. Um, and so that's and in the meantime, there's so many orangutans. Um, you know, and elephants, which are isolated, you know, that, you know, their herds have been killed or an orangutan, their mothers have been killed. And, and, and with these such low numbers of these critically species, every individual is not only important for their, um, the fact that their individual person 
you know, and and compassion dictates that we have to care and and protect them, you know, because of the sanctity of that the individual. But they're also extremely important for the survival of their own species. When species are such low numbers, every individual contains part of the genetic mm. um, sequence, you know, that is likely to be required for that species to survive. So we spend a lot of time supporting brave young Indonesians out there rescuing orangutans, rehabilitating them, and reestablishing extinct populations of orangutans in these ecosystems. Yeah, yeah, wow. That's, that's a lot of work to do too. And, you know, I totally appreciate what you say about the fact that zoos are nice it's it's kind of i'm not a big fan of zoos as i've grown older and become more aware of really what they are from a commercial point of view i mean obviously in uh, victoria here we have what we call the open plain zoos and i think there's a couple around australia where they actually have open land and they operate within that um i suppose broader environment but from a perspective of saving them genetically and saving that DNA and saving just that, I suppose, the, the, um, the history, the biological history of the animal and being able to protect them going forward. I suppose really it's, it's, it's just not as simple as saving them. It's, it's really about protecting them. And you mentioned that there's, you know, you're over in Indonesia. How much time do you spend over in Indonesia throughout the year? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, at the moment, I'm in lockdown in Perth where we kind of um, can't move. Um, I usually spent half my time. So I, I had half my time working, you know, in Indonesia, um, um, taking people on echo tours, visiting the projects, um, going to meetings um, as, a, as a technical advisor. And the, the other half of my time was engaging with people and fundraising in order to to support the, the work that um, our partners with, are, are doing in Indonesia. So that was kind of how it was before um, lockdown. Um, but luckily, look, I've got some wonderful Indonesian partners, you know, who, that I communicate, you know, on a daily basis, you know, um, who are doing the wonderful work. Um, so, that, so, you know, everything is still, you know, going full steam ahead there, you know. Um, and, you know, and I'm just providing what support I can, you know, and fill in the gaps in the, in the glue. And, and the majority of that is funding. That's what's most needed um, to support these, um, these, these, these heroes out in, in, in the forest. Mm. So you see, I think if I understand correctly, you started more with a focus on orangutans, and that is, I believe, your area of, of real uh, expertise. But you've also become involved in some of the uh, other um, more endangered species, such as the, the tiger and the elephant. What other, um, I guess, projects or what other scope of projects mm -hmm. ahead do you have, um, given that really there's such a huge, huge um, mm. need for conservation? What other projects do you have on the agenda? Yeah, no, it's a very good point because it's never been about, you know, saving one species over another or even, you know, not looking after human beings over animals. It's, it's a win-win solution for all. So how, how we came about to develop the International Tiger Project, International Elephant Project, was that originally when we started out, we thought, okay, we're going to save the orangutan. That's going to be the umbrella species where all other species of biodiversity will sit under it. So if we save enough rainforest, 
and areas for orangutans to survive. The others will come along for the free ride. We don't have to concentrate on them. But what we found, two species were falling out from outside of the umbrella. And one was the elephants. The humans and elephants were killing each other over the last remaining patches, you know, trying to, to survive. And um, criminal syndicates were coming in, particularly trying to poach the tigers. Mm. Um, so we just, we started the, other two projects to bring in those species under the umbrella of protection um, in, in our grand strategic plan um, to save all species. And, and, um, and recently, we obviously, as I mentioned, we're developing agricultural systems with the in indigenous communities under the rainforest canopy. But what we've discovered also, because, you know, the big multinationals are taking all the land and storing it for unsustainable monocultures such as palm oil. And, you know, so they're just taking over. And what's been left in these ecosystems are not only the wildlife and the biodiversity, but the local community, indigenous communities, trying to survive in small, small patch of the forest. Mm. And what's been happening is they can't even feed the kids. You know, the kids are malnourished. The kids are not getting education, you know, because their agricultural systems or hunting and gathering, which was sustainable over their traditional tribal lands, is no longer sustainable because of the theft of the traditional lands. So we have to uh, um, provide the opportunity for them to transition from unsustainable, now unsustainable agriculture, what's stand before, to sustainable. And that takes about seven years okay. to plant the vanilla, to plant the vines and, and bring it to nutrition. So, in, in, um, so we're actually feeding the, the school children to ensure they have enough nourishment to, you know, to live and learn. And we're providing them education mm. um, and, as well as obviously supporting the, the transition of the agricultural systems. Mm. So it's, you know, and again, you know, we have, we have some people who may complain that, you know, we're feeding um, human children because they want to give us the orangutans or people want to give us this species on that species. But what I try to convey to everybody you can't, you, it's got to be a win-win solution. This is the only way we're going to make the difference. We can't have, you, if someone's got their kids starving, if you, if, whether it's sustainable or not, they're going to cut down the forest. They're going to take the money from the mafia to sell the land. You know, they're going to do something, you know. So you, you can't suddenly isolate ourselves, as in my sense, from the rest of the humanity, rest of the living beings that share our planet. You know, the only way, and this is, but our tribal nature, you know, we want us against them, you know, we want to find an enemy, you know, we want to, you know, have, have a battle, you know. This is why they say if climate change was, you know, um, all created by North Korea, it would have been solved right away. And, you know, very definable enemy, you know. <laughs> um, but because it's us and it's so multifaceted, we don't know how to deal with it because our, our tribal brains are set up to find, a, to find outside enemy and attack it. But we have to... There's two things we have to do. We have to grow beyond our tribal mind, mm -hmm. you know, and, and to, to start thinking in these win-win solutions. And, and the subject I address quite a lot in my last book is we have to move from this patriarchal system, you know, where um, we've disempowered women over time and, and women's collective thinking and group thinking and long-term thinking and so all our boardrooms and governments have male thinking, which is fine in bounds. It's short term, it's aggressive, you know, um, it's very good to get stuff done really quick. 
but but from for long term and conservation, it, it can be quite useless unless it's bounced by feminine power, the, the community long term and compassion. Um, and so one of the things that um, we try to do a lot, um, you know, strategically within our organizations and what we're doing and supporting women collectives is to um, regain that balance um, of, of feminine power. Um, and again, you know, if some men might think, oh my God, you know, we're giving women power, that means I'm gonna be disempowered, you know. But it's actually, again, it's a win-win situation. Men do a lot better, you know, and have a healthier lives and environment when women are empowered, you know. So I, I, again, I keep trying to express in my writings and my talks um, the need to get out of this win-lose situation into a better, fair world. And we can't leave anybody behind, um, you know, male, female, um, nationality, species, because um, at a very deep level, uh, an ecological level, we're all connected. And that's the only way we're going to win the situation. Mm. No, absolutely. I, I very much agree with a lot of what you've said there, particularly about it not being um, about um, us versus them. And I think that the, the trouble I've had with that mindset that I've observed is that there's a real misunderstanding and I, and I can appreciate why it's there. The un misunderstanding that I see is that because so many of us are living a privileged life here in Australia and the many of us that do have that privilege, we don't really know what it's like to live in a, in a say, a third world country or a country that has corrupt polit uh, politics. We think our politics here are corrupt, but we, we, we don't even touch the surface of real corruption where it leads to people being murdered because they don't support the government. And, you know, the, the people who want to make a difference are being put in prison and things like that. That's the absolute abhorrent treatment of people who want to work together and make a difference and support but when you have high levels of corruption or when you have poverty and when you have really significant life-threatening um, changes going on in an environment around people, as you say, they're going to take the money and run. They're going to, uh, in, you know, do what they can to feed their kids. They don't have the same level of educational privilege that we know and we don't know what it's like for them to be in their situation. So we have to step out of that position of kind of I don't think of it necessarily as judging we just don't know what we're really able to appreciate because we're not there we're not living it we're not feeling it so we have to step away from that us versus their mindset and really show a lot greater compassion um, not sit in any level of judgment be able to say well I'm not there I don't know what I would do if I was in that situation mm -hmm. so if we can take that kind of stance and appreciate that people need to be supported people need and and what you're saying there you, you're helping to feed the children and empower women those steps alone are enough to help take the pressure off people making really unnecessarily and sometimes tragic decisions that are leading to worse things mm. happening such as buying into the idea of chop down that forest because i need that land i've got to plant something to feed my kids you know if we can really see beyond all of the nitty nitty gritty things and get to the the bigger picture, we begin to understand, as you say, we are all connected. Part of the reason yeah. I do this particular platform is to reach a global audience and, and is to speak to people in different places, mm -hmm. doing different things to broaden the perspective so that we can see 
you know, there are people out there that live a totally different life to something that I know. Mm -hmm. And I can't presume that my way of life is the only way of life. And that would be ignorant if I was to do that. So it's really important, the message that you're sharing, and it's what I'd like to provide this platform for, is that we need to see how other people are going about their daily lives and how can we make it better? How can we do it for all yeah. beings? And it's not just to the extent that we shut one out and, and only focus on the other. It's about we're all connected. So just mm. from that perspective and all of the different work that you're doing, obviously what you do is important and, and why you do it is, is equally important. Share with us why it is that you've been drawn to work in this area. I mean, from my, my understanding, you've been doing this for probably 30 years or so. What led you down this pathway? Um, you know, mainly it's about, yeah, the intelligent expression of love. And of course, as you mentioned before, my expertise and my, you know, my research, you know, um, and qualifications are in orangutans, you know. And so that was a naturally uh, intelligent way to express my love for all beings, you know, through the conservation of orangutans, the rainforest, and then, the, and then extending the umbrella as far as capacity um, to, to, to go out. And so that, that's kind of, um, of, of been my journey. But, but you know, on reflection of what you said earlier, we have to remember, every, we, we know that there's no culture which is more or less corrupt than any other. That's just a reality. It, people are corrupt depending on the environment they're in. Mm. Usually in Western democracies, only the very rich are corrupt mm. in their real sense. And most middle-class and working-class people are very honest. It's only you know the, the ruling elite which we tend to have you, you know major inherent corruption in Indonesia and you know in third world countries it goes further down. That's because they have to. It's part of the system. They have to work within that system in order to survive and, and prosper. But ethically, they're, they're, they're really um, no difference. But the other aspect, of course, is it's our Western democracies which um, are. Um, keeping the corruption going, mm. you know, to give access to resources and the building exploitation of the third world. So it's not, it's not very good for us or not accurate for us to sit back and go, oh, my God, these corrupt, horrible people doing mm. stuff, when it's our governments and our ruling elite, which is actually driving it, you know, um, yeah. from the outside. So we're very much um, implicated in the problem. And from a psychological perspective, um, we can characterise those who have privilege without merit have to demonize the underprivileged in order, in order to support the self-worth. Yeah. So in other words, I kind of know, look, I'm, I was born, you know, in a, in a relatively wealthy country with, you know, social security and that sort of stuff. It wasn't any merit of mine. It just happened to be, I just got lucky. I got born here rather than sub-Saharan Africa. Exactly. Um, and so it's without merit. A lot of it you know and so in order to justify why i've got this i have to you know psychologically this is a fallback is to think oh these africans or these people they're not as good as us you look at them they're corrupt you know what i mean they're, they're they're fighting with each other that's why they're poor and underprivileged you know it's, you know it's not because you know i have um you know um you know status without merit you know opportunity without merit but that's the case you know, um, and so we got to overcome that natural tendency of self-defense and, and say, 
actually, you know, the privilege and opportunity of us to be born in, you know, in a, in a, in a affluent Western democracy, you know, so where our worst case scenario <laughs> is often the, the, the dream of so many people, you know, yeah. we have this, we have the privilege and the opportunity and obligation, does that make sense, to, um, to offer the helping hand, does it make sense, yeah. to bring those who haven't had the opportunity up. Um, and we and we can't we can't create the world which is happy and prosperous unless we do that. We can't leave anyone behind. Mm. Um, so this whole idea of, of demonizing people of different nationalities um, is crazy. But it's also crazy from the perspective is, you know, countries don't exist. Yeah. Companies don't exist. Yeah. These are what they call legal fictions. Mm. You know, we just draw a line and say that's one country, that's another. It's not real. Show me a country, point to a country, mm. point to a company. People will die for these things, mm. but they're not real. What is real is living beings. What is real is nature and, and the biosphere support us. So we have to understand we've kind of been brainwashed, does that make sense? Mm. That we're not, and a lot of people say, I don't want to support conservation because you spend your money in Indonesia because I want to support Australia or America, you know what I mean? Yep. What's that? You, it, it's not real. <laughs> you know? why, why do you want to support something not real? Um, and, and it's got to the stage where our technology impacts on the globe makes it absolutely crazy for, the, for us to think of things on racial or national lines. Mm. You know, we, unless we can go beyond that, we're dooming all our countries, all our people, all our races and the entire planet um, to an unlivable um, future you know so it, it again goes back to our opportunity to reform ourselves you know and this is and also the way we think and interact with other living beings um, and of course we got to do that before it's too late yeah yeah absolutely I mean so many valid points there um, and, and in terms of really if we raise our awareness and I think education is a huge part of that not only just the institutional education which is you know it serves the purpose so to speak to get us educated to, to read and write and all those those things we take for granted but we need a self level of education we need to be looking at within ourselves to understand you know is what I'm learning about the world around me really valid and true or is there a level of authenticity that I can discover about myself that means that there are no real boundaries there's no real borders that prevent me from being able to do good around the world and you know, I reflect on um, World War II, for example, and watching their documentaries about that when they showed that, particularly in parts of Europe, they were fighting over a map. They were fighting over the land boundaries, which, as you say, really, it was a mountain, it was, it was a river, it was... So in, in terms of geographically or, or, or on land, it was just land. It was just a country. It was just dirt. It was trees. But from a political point of view on paper, they made it all of these things and they were fighting for years and millions of people got killed over this ridiculous state of mind. And if we kind of take that whole silly principle of going to war over a bit of land just to prove power and all those other things that I'm sure Hitler was, was you know, uh, focused on, we translate mm -hmm. that across everything that we do in the world. We're fighting over things that, that really at the end of the day, do they have 
real real validity for what we're doing are we going into a state of mind where we're getting ourselves caught up in things that make us angry or make us you know um fight for things and become quite um aggressive and too proud about things to to consider maybe really at the end of the day that's that's not worth it I, I i can't take those to the grave what am i leaving for my kids it's not about the money it's about the experience it's about the I suppose it's that sense of positive integration within the globe around us. I mean, we need to be able to get along and we need to be able to do it with anybody, no matter what colour their skin, no matter what country they've come from, no matter what religion or politics, none of that really matters. We all bleed red blood. We're all, this, we're all, we're all human. We're, and, and even our you know, non-human creatures. What, and as you, you made a valid point much earlier in our conversation that they have rights as well, and we we just haven't acknowledged that, and we're mm -hmm. slowly starting to have those conversations, but we're a long way behind. And if we don't start making those changes and raise our awareness and self education and become more conscious of the choices that we're making and where those decisions have been based, you know, from any sort of social conditioning, we've got ten years, as you say, to really make a difference. And if we don't start making the changes now, 10 years from now, we just may not be able to make a significant enough impact. Things will be so different. What, what will it look like for us? So, you know, obviously that sounds all doom and gloom, but if we don't start making changes, we can now, from this point, if I understand your uh, point of view, we can, from this point, create something positive. We can make inroads. We can change. We can set the principles of success going forward now. But in 10 years, it'll be just too late or it will be just at a point where it will just it'll be like, you know, paddling upstream in a barbed wire canoe. We won't be getting anywhere. Um, it'll be just almost too late. So would you have any words of advice for anybody that in terms of those thinking that, you know, what difference can I make? You know, for people that might be questioning that or looking at themselves and like, how do I how do I do something different? You know, it's only me. I'm only one person. How do I make a difference? Would you have any word of advice that you would pass on to people? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, when people, I think we've been sold this lie almost like, you know, think globally, act locally, you know, recycle, change your light bulbs, individual actions. That's just allowing us to fiddle while the, the rich and powerful you know, destroy the world for, for personal gain. So I think we just got to dismiss that. As I said, we, you know, and nothing wrong with personal integrity. And I think that's true, you know, like, you know, become a vegan, you know, um, become passionate, loving, you know, and supporting, recycle, get solar panels. That's all fantastic. I've got all of that. Um, but is that going to change the world? No, we have to collectivize. And so how we can be empowered as individuals is we collectivize into organizations, such as the Orangutan Project and other many great organizations and together, you know, by small contribution, people in the Rangtang project volunteer and they do run stores and markets. Others don't have time, but they donate money. Mm -hmm. Others, you know, become our staff and donate their expertise, you know. And so we all can contribute by collectivization. And that way we can all make a, a meaningful change in the world, you know, and really make a difference um, working together. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of things that people can do uh, in terms of, you know, there's this, for me, I've always figured that 
that sense of hopelessness or helplessness or overwhelm or, or just being so challenged by the enormity of the, the situation is enough to keep people sort of frozen and, and feel that they can't do anything. And that comes back to that, you know, there's only me, I'm only one person, what difference can I make? That is a prevailing thought that I've, I've had a lot of people say to me, what difference can I make? There's only me. The difference we all can make is if, as you say, collectivization, if we band together with our friends, band together with our colleagues, start a little movement because a little movement becomes a bigger movement. You've just got to be vocal enough about it and be proud of what you're doing and have faith and have hope and stand true to the, the idea that the action that you take, that small action, even though it's a small action, you have a lot of small actions, collectively becomes a big action. So would you say that it's important that people start, it sort of take themselves out of the, I'm only an individual, what, what can I do mindset and really start looking to broaden that into what organisations can I be part of? What groups can I start? How can I join with people? Where would mm -hmm. they start to, to be able to make those changes? Yeah, no, I, I think it's, well, there's two say, things. One is collectivization. The second stage is reforming us, ourselves. Um, because if, if you are unhappy and selfish because you're unhappy, you know, um, you, you're going to run out of energy. You know? You're going to start something that's going to fall down or you come despondent and that sort of stuff. Um, because happiness may be difficult to find within oneself, but it's impossible to find outside of oneself. Mm. That is the truth, you know. Um, you know, but we, we, we're given the, the illusion that money, name, power, position may provide us happiness. And of course, anyone who's received those things can tell you themselves that there's no happiness within them. Once you get them, you realize that happiness doesn't lie there. Mm. And so, but the good thing is if we can find that happiness and joy within ourselves, this becoming a selfless, happy individual, it has to come out, if that makes sense. So it's not all about, oh, what, you know, do I have the energy or, or should I do it? Or does it matter whether I'm just saving one orangutan on saving two or 500? The happiness has to come out. Does it make sense? It's like if, if you're unhappy, you, you can't help making everyone around you unhappy. Hmm. If, if you're happy inside, you have to make, you can't help it. <laughs> you know, I want to help you. I want to make you happy. I want to do good. And so it's no sacrifice. You know, the joy has to get out. You know, I, you know what I mean? Well, why don't you stop? I can't stop. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I gotta express it. Otherwise I'm going to burst, you know? So all I got to do is say, how, in, how can I do it intelligently? Yeah. How can I just, you know, um, use my discrimination to express my love in a way which is going to have impact and meaning mm. and, so, and and so so when we're talking about um you know individual action yes individual action I, i'm not a great fan of reforming ourselves as individuals spending the time to reform ourselves and find our own happiness and inner peace is certainly worthwhile because that will pay in tenfold dividends yeah in our ability to express and do good th through the world mm. yeah so I guess the another way of saying that for anyone who's kind of pondering this, because it's we've gone quite down a few deep deep rabbit holes here, and for anyone that's pondering that might be thinking, well, you know, what does he really mean? And my interpretation of that, as I hear that, is 
individual action on its own, yes, that's great for integrity. It makes you feel good about yourself. But from a perspective of if you feel better within yourself and, and you're aiming to become a loving being so that you're not sitting in judgment, you're not criticizing others, you're not feeling uh, inadequate in yourself, you, you're really building on how am I a good person? How can I feel just giving and being is part of how I am? And if you look, it's a big philosophical um, journey. It's a, it's a big healing journey for a lot of people. But once you've done that, and that's the individual side of it, it becomes kind of like this ripple effect where it impacts everyone else around you positively and it then builds on that energy. So if that's, mm -hmm. if that's an understanding, and I would say that people just work on yourself, be open and be true to yourself and be authentic within yourself, recognize that you can be a power within yourself that starts a big ripple of positive movement. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I think of, um, and uh, I remember as we were setting up this interview over the last couple of days, there was a photo that you sent me and it's included on the flyer for this particular bro um, uh, interview. And it's about the photo of you with the uh, orangutan on your, on your back. When I look at that, I, I actually, the first time I saw that, I started getting watery eyes. I get very emotional when I think about animals. And that made me, like, I was filled with joy. It just it gave me such an immense sense of I cannot imagine the joy and the absolute bliss of being able to connect with such a beautiful being as an orangutan and having it just comfortably sit on your shoulder as, you, as if it's accepting you and embracing you as another species it's not asking, well, you know, you're human. I shouldn't have anything to do with you. It just sees you. It literally just sees you and it engages with you. And I think if we can learn that, I can imagine just that joy. What, what's that feeling that you get when you first connect with the orangutan? Um, I guess there's two things is, you know, um, you know, all, all joy and happiness comes from within ourselves. And so we, 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 um, something quietens our mind, our relationship, you know, sex, money, power, you know, something, it quietens our minds and that joy comes out, does make sense, because the cloud of the mind for a time doesn't obscure the joy and love and happiness which exists inside of us. But we mistakenly attribute the, the, the joy and happiness to the outside agent that just clear mm -hmm. our mind for a while. So I guess that's the first half of the question. The, the, the second half is, I've spent most of my life with orangutans, I've discovered that they're a more noble form of person. They're far more um, loving, affectionate, um, calm, beautiful. So it, I've, I've had the privilege of connecting with a more noble form of humanity mm -hmm. that we find in the most intelligent being that shares our planet, the orangutan. Uh, and that's obviously just been a, a wonderful privilege of my life to to get to know and have personal relationships with these with these noble persons that share our planet. Mm, yeah, I can only imagine. And, and you say that they're, they're quite calm and, as you say, quite noble. I, I can only imagine that when you are connecting with them, how much it must just change your own biochemistry in a sense. It may change your heart rate, change the, the breathing rate, just change the brain waves, just connecting with them on that that level that just it doesn't need words necessarily it just needs to be present and again i think there's lessons there for all of us that just being present and being self-aware and being aware of other beings around us can only lead to good i would think 
Oh, naturally, yeah. It's yeah. A, you know, now love, joy, happiness, peace. Um, you know, they're all aspects of the same thing. You know, mm. you know, taken from different sides. You know, and they're all one and the same. So the more we can be present and connected, uh, and and realize the fact that actually we're actually not separate. It, 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 it is a, it's, a, it's an illusion. Um, in fact, you know, all, all living beings are only my own self living in another life. That's a reality. Um, you know, and of course, obviously, that can't be easily discovered, but it can be. It's not, uh, you know, and um, it, it's certainly wonderful um, if, if we can discover that. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been a fascinating conversation. And one of the things that I'd really like for people to be able to do is to reach out to you uh, if they've got some sort of um, expertise that they'd like to contribute or if they'd like to donate or perhaps even if they want to know how they can further contribute to the projects. Uh, that information for our audience, the details that uh, are available in terms of which websites to go to or which links to click on, all of that information will be contained in the description for both this YouTube uh, channel but also for the podcast. So is there a parting message? Is there something that you would like people to know or where they can reach you or anything mm -hmm. that you would like to share? Um, no, the, the main thing is, you know, if you like to and you feel inspired to help, go to our website, theorangutanproject.org. And, yeah, and join up, you know, get the newsletter, get the connections. If you ha have lots of money but little time please donate if you have a lot of time and little money please volunteer and if you want a once in a lifetime opportunity once the covid pandemic is over i take groups into the jungle to meet the orangutans and, wow. and, and connect in, in a very in a very deep way mm -hmm. so yeah and um, so just take the opportunities that you can um to to join um in what i believe is a win-win solution you know mm -hmm and to understand is, is this is a journey that um, we can only do good on. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that whole idea, obviously, once COVID is not so big a uh, global uh, threat that it has shown itself to be, once that is passed and, you know, we're able to travel, I can imagine it would be an absolutely life-changing experience for some people just to be able to go into the, the forest and, and to actually have that connection with an orangutan or a whole lot of orangutans. So, yeah, that sounds like something that would be really quite amazing. Leif, it's been a real pleasure talk, uh, chatting with you and, and talking about what it is you do. Um, I just want to say thank you for your time. And, again, any of the links associated with uh, Leif's projects will be found in the description. Leif, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. You're welcome.